0: Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. This week's guests, Stevie Fast Jackson and Jack Beckman, to talk about their U.S. Nationals victories. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. And they'll talk the championship chase in 2020. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Loans. Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. And boy, what a week of news it has been since our last episode. We'll get into some of that here before we get going with Jack Beckman and Stevie Fast Jackson. Really looking forward to talking to both of those guys. They are... Uh, Obviously, very popular drivers on the NHRA Tour. Both of them have a lot of insight into kind of what they're doing in their own careers and also kind of what they're trying to achieve this year in terms of championships. For Jack Beckman, obviously coming off the U.S. Nationals win, uh, hanging on right now to the Nitro Funny Car points lead, very tight battle that it is. Stevie Fast Jackson coming off an incredible race last weekend outside of the NHRA tour that we're going to talk about called the Shakedown that happened at Virginia Motorsports Park. He set a world record there in the radial versus the world category and won. And he also won the U.S. Nationals and has reinserted himself in the, the conversation for a world championship in 2020. He's trying to back up his 2019 world championship, and he didn't get off to the greatest of starts. We're going to talk about that with him and clearly how his program and his team have turned the corner and have become two-time U.S. Nationals winners. Outside of that, there has been massive news uh, on both sides of the yay and oh boy sides of the world in terms of NHRA Championship drag racing. We're going to start with the yay news first because, well, I'm a happy positive guy, so we're going with the happy positive stuff first. And that was the long extension signed between the NHRA and Fox, our broadcast partners, uh, for the World of NHRA Championship Drag Racing. And this was a, a very significant deal, and it is a very significant deal because it runs uh, through the better half of the decade of the 2020s. So it's going to carry us uh, for several years. Uh, a nice long-term deal. It has expanded network coverage, meaning we go from four network broadcasts a year to eight network broadcasts a year, which is incredible, um, which will place – you know, a a vast portion of our season on network television. Um, Scheduling-wise, I'm going to assume those will, you know, have some some frequency. So it will also help to establish us as a regular kind of network property. Our races will continue on FS1. They will continue, um, of course, ProMod coverage, Lucas Oil coverage, all that stuff will continue, 500-plus hours of programming a year which in the old ESPN days there was 150 a year so to have uh, that much programming that will be on the airwaves and it allows us to be more creative in several respects that we'll get into maybe down the road in the off season kind of talking about some of the things that are happening happening in that direction um so we got the network races we have the extension of the term again for into the back half of the 2020s And we also have this announcement that, um, on its face, may not strike people as overly important, but it actually is incredibly important. And that's the fact that um, at least one of these network races per year will either be a lead in for or led in by an NFL game. And if you're not a football fan, I get it. You're, you know, that's fine. You don't like football, it's your thing, whatever. But, um, Football is the most popular sport in America, uh, continues to be the most viewed sport in America on television, and typically what it means is if we're going to be coming off the back of a Fox Football NFL telecast, we're going to be opening up our show with an audience of 5 to 7 or potentially 6 to 8 million people, and the reality is that show, when we have it, will be the largest drag racing broadcast in the history of the world, no one have ever achieved that type of a number um, for a drag racing broadcast ever and it's going to be a great moment for us and the whole... um New contract is a very great testament to the partnership that we have with Fox. It's super exciting for those of us that work on the show, obviously, but if you're a fan of NHRA, it should be very exciting to you as well because um, it's the company basically giving the NHRA a vote of confidence in what they have seen us do in terms of our performance for audiences and our performances for viewership and what they believe we can do going forward, um, which is great. It's always good when you get that vote of confidence, when you have a successful partnership with somebody like the Fox Broadcast Network. It um, it really is great. So that's the great news. Um, the oh boy news uh, has gone around drag racing like wildfire. It broke the day before I am recording this. It broke on Monday and making this on the Tuesday leading before the Gator Nationals. So I guess it would be the 22nd of September. And that news is... Um, fairly simple and I'm not uh, talking out of school here because it was released publicly by the NHRA but effectively um, uh, Coca-Cola has decided that they wanted to terminate the contract with NHRA which has existed for uh, basically two decades uh, through several different brands and different branding of the series and citing the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the you know business uh, negative aspects of that, um, they were looking to uh, exercise themselves of the contract. And the NHRA has decided that they would like to prevent that from happening. And uh, so there is a, a legal dispute, a contract dispute that is going on right now. Now, as is typically the case, uh, the Internet has gone crazy. And this is big news. I would not expect the Internet not to go crazy regarding this. Um, one thing that you should keep in mind, though, is that you're visually not going to see any change when we go to do our show and when you watch the Gator Nationals, which I hope you will this weekend um, on FS1, uh, you will not see a lack of mellow yellow signage. You will not see a lack of Coca-Cola branding or Powerade branding or any of that stuff. Um, It will all look pretty much normal because of the fact that any changes to be made uh, that, that coke was looking to make would effectively begin in 21 uh also the fact that uh this contract by all um you know legal standards still stands until uh it is ruled as though it doesn't so the world of uh, NHRA drag racing another interesting topsy-turvy moment here for the 2020 year which everybody's been experiencing them but this is a big one and one thing i can tell you is that um it is certainly something that has people chewing on their fingernails but it's also something that um this sport needs to be able to confront. It needs to be able to confront this. It needs to be able to work to find a new title partner or partners, as the case may be. We look at what NASCAR has done. NASCAR, instead of having one single overriding series sponsor, has kind of chunked their season out, and they've chunked that season out to a few different companies. And I will tell you this. The the big lesson for me um, in all of this and the big lesson for, uh, I think, a lot of people that maybe miss it is the fact that, you know, drag racing is is a is an entity or NHRA is an entity. Drag racing is a sport that uh deserves to be and is a big league motorsport. And it gets talked down a lot by a lot of people. And I, I don't understand why. I was having a conversation with a another guy in the media last week and we were talking about how drag racing has seemingly this this kind of built in inferiority complex. And it's something that's existed for a very very long time and it gets and it gets kind of perpetuated really by a single generation of people and i'm not going to go down that road but um let's just say it's not the young guys that are perpetuating that so there is this kind of inferiority complex that's built into drag racing and the one thing if you're a drag racing fan one uh the NHRA is a strong organization two the NHRA will find another uh, series sponsor, and three, uh, the NHRA is fighting for what they believe is uh, is what they are owed from Coca-Cola and what they are owed in the terms of the contract. So, you know, there's, uh, let's see, so if we can start from the beginning of things that NHRA will never survive, the retirement of Don Garlitz and Shirley Muldowney, NHRA will never survive the financial downturn, NHRA will never survive the gas crisis, NHRA will never survive Wally Parks's death, NHRA will never survive, you know, we can make a list three miles long of all the stuff that nhra drag racing will never survive and the fact of the matter is not only has it survived it has survived and it has delivered itself to larger audiences um via television and electronically than the sport has ever seen in its history so we can sit around and we can uh, opine for the great days of old when we watched our races a month after they happened and the shows were an hour long and you saw maybe maybe three passes of a Pro Stock car. Maybe you saw a couple of rounds of a funny car. You didn't see all the runs by any means. You didn't see any qualifying unless somebody blew one up or flipped it over backwards. So, you know, I could go on for an hour and a half on this topic, but th- at the end of the day, um, I have confidence in the leadership of NHRA I have confidence that uh, our sport, that our that our product, if you will, has value. We got a great endorsement of that value from the Fox Broadcast Network. That t- television contract that was just signed that will begin next year is an incredible selling point. And you can believe it or choose not to believe it. That's your uh, that's your motive or your modus operandi. That's up to you. But um, I would suspect if you're a fan of drag racing, you would. Um, I want the I want the organization to succeed um, which it will and i'm confident that it will and i'm certainly interested in being part of that success as we move forward this is an incredible period in time it is an incredible period in the history of motorsports and of our country and it is certainly a period of time that will separate those that have the uh, want desire and ability to succeed and those that don't So I am going to do my level best, as is everybody, you know, in the organization, everybody in the sport, to certainly provide a positive outlook, provide a positive look in in the future. And, uh, you know, there are obstacles to surmount. There are things going on that are certainly heavy-duty and unexpected and out of left field in some ways, but that's been par for the course for 2020. And if we look back in the history of the NHRA, there has been plenty of times when the organization has been has been dealt a a tough blow, has been dealt a a tough situation and they've uh, adapted and overcome. And that's what's going to happen here. So uh, it is going to be great. I can't wait to just go to the Gator Nationals and race cars. Uh, That's going to be very fun. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we have a great race down there. And I know we will. So that's my rant for this week. The bottom lines are this one. Awesome deal with Fox, yay extension, yay extra uh, increased broadcast coverage, yay for the fact of the NFL adjacent lead-in or lead-out. Whoa, boy, on the Coke news, on the Coca-Cola mellow yellow side news. But we take all these things as being one, and we say, okay, we are a big league motorsport. We have a big audience. We have a lot of fans. We have a lot of value. And we're going to take that value and turn it into a new partnership with somebody else. That's how business works. And uh, you can sit at home and curl up in the corner and, and freak out about it. Or you can put your head down and go to work. Or you can be a jerk and throw rocks. You can do any of the, one of those three things. I am going to choose option two. One, because I don't like throwing rocks. And two, because I don't like sitting in the corner. All right, so we welcome our first guest on to the NHRA Insider Podcast this week. He ran the wheels off his drag radial car last weekend. He won Indy. And he's TV Fast Jackson. How you doing, man? Well, what's going on, buddy? It's good to be me today. The hustle is real, as it always is with you, man. I'm glad you were able to take a few minutes out of your day. And um, I want to start, I guess, with the U.S. Nationals because obviously it was a huge win for your team, not just because it's Indy, but, man, you guys finally kind of put the train back on the tracks.
1: Man, the train was headed off into the Grand Canyon. You seen them old westerns where like they're blazing off and the whole wagon train goes off the cliff. Like we we're pretty close. The wagon wheel was loose. Billy's sitting back there driving the coach, and we're about to head that thing off the Grand Canyon. Uh, that was a absolute do it right now if you're gonna do it type of moment
0: and it wasn't it puts you in the points lead and, and when we talk about the points in ProMod right now it's insanely wide open i think the top 10 are separated by maybe 70 or a little bit less than 70 points so by no means is it over yet but it, it's back it's good to be in a command position
1: absolutely but i told my guys we are not in the points lead we have just reset the points to zero where they would have been when we rolled in the gamesville and that's why we look at it there's a round separating the first five folks and uh, we, by, by, in my mind, we do not have the points lead. We're just back to zero. Uh, I call it getting back to broke. So we were we had piled up the fund debt. We're now back to broke and we're ready to go race
0: for it. <laughs> I like the logic. And obviously Gainesville, you know, this is normally a race where the season kinda of opens up and uh it is it is now what'll be the third, fourth race for you guys. Uh Gainesville is a place that you've had success. Obviously you had that stinger against uh against Tuttero not too long ago. But you know, those are the type of things that I feel like in the back of my mind, in the back of your mind, that kind of provide a little extra motivation. Man, I want Gainesville.
1: Uh I've got a bittersweet relationship with that place first time we go out i make my nhra de- debut qualify number one transmission tears up in the burnout on the first run i get beat by a little bitty hole shot in 2018 and then 2019 i still made the quickest run in history get crushed by todd uh i want the gators it's a race that everybody wants to have on their resume uh we're attacking this thing uh, we, we left virginia we haven't been to sleep We drove uh, through the night. We got here at 1 o'clock in the morning. I got a brand new engine in the car. We got brand new stuff, and we're going to beat the wheels off this thing for a couple days. (laughs) We only got two rounds of qualifying in Gainesville, so you're going to have to come out and be spectacular you're going to end up racing somebody that you do not want to race in the first
0: round. Well, you're talking about beating the wheels off of your car, but the reality is it's just way more than your car. It's your car, it's Barker's car, it's Belushi's car, and really, uh, Jim Whiteley's racing kind of as a satellite or as a partner car with you guys now, too, so the workload is really high.
1: Yeah, it's high. We've got four cars down here, and uh, running four four legal cars. Uh, running four of any car is demanding, but running four quarter mile pro mods is is a lot, but I'm very fortunate to get to do what I love. Uh, I was up at six o'clock this morning at the racetrack, and not a lot of people get to do that. Uh, and, and I'm fortunate, man. I love what I do. I do. That. I would do it for free, and if you do it for free, you end up getting paid pretty good for it. That's
0: uh, that's good logic, and I certainly everybody respects that about you. And it is one of the biggest things that people respect about you is the fact that uh, you're out there killing it, not just for uh, likes and uh, social media like button punches. You're out there doing it because it's in your heart and. I want to talk about last weekend, man. I was there. You were there, obviously. Uh, We're talking about a race called the Shakedown in Virginia. You're running the Shadow 2.0, the radial versus the world car. You win the race, which is uh, not wholly unexpected, but um, to me, one of the greatest, if not the greatest side-by-side pass I've ever seen in drag racing was you and David Reese in the semifinal round. You make the quickest run in the history of drag radial competition, and he is literally right there hanging on your door handle.
1: Man, first of all, I don't ever not – me and my boys don't ever not celebrate a win. So I want to go ahead and put this out there since we're talking about paying the fun card. We didn't get to celebrate Virginia at all because we had to be in Florida 12 hours after that. So we are saving the Virginia celebration. Everybody that's normally coming to hang out with us after a win, we're going to do it in Gainesville after we win Gainesville Sunday night. <laughs> uh, the conditions are, are rarely there where you have a racetrack and atmospheric conditions in the same place as we had in Virginia. And we went in there knew, knowing that the forecast was forecasted really good, especially for the supercharge combination. Uh, Jimmy and Tyler, Jimmy Bradshaw and Tyler Crossman did a spectacular job on the racetrack. And it was literally, we didn't afford a run. It was just, you just see how much power that you can make. Um, going up against David Reese in the semifinals, they, people think, that you know when when they see when they see us running todd Tuttero at the finals in vegas that like when you would go to a radial tire race there's less pressure that's not accurate like we want that i wanted that round win as much as any round one i've ever wanted and we went up there uh we went up there to burn the thing up to try to win david's got a a new state-of-the-art combination he's very light they make more power than we do and i literally did not think i could win that round like in my mind I didn't think that that was attainable, and, and we swung at it. And when I look over at 3:30 and I don't see him, I'm like, "You're gonna have to have a whole bunch to come get me," because I know what Billy's got cooked in the backside of this thing. It was it was a it was a big moment.
0: It was it was a great moment that built in some anticipation as well because uh, we had to run that round on Sunday. It was it was going to be run Saturday, but we basically ran out of time and ran out of conditions. It got too cold, so the overnight wait for I know at least on my side of the fence it was exciting because we knew that the morning conditions were going to be almost as good anyway. Uh, for you, you, I'm I'm assuming you would have preferred to have run that thing that night rather than have to sleep on it.
1: Well, the worst thing. Well, the problem is you don't sleep on on it uh, as much as anticipation as you had. Like, we probably put 14 hours into that run. I mean, I know we didn't leave the racetrack Saturday night until 10 or 11 o'clock. I didn't sleep. I'm up literally, it's like in the movies, like 3 o'clock, I'm walking around in circles in the hotel room. 5 a.m., I'm on the practice tree in the hotel room. Uh, I'm doing jumping jacks at 7 because I'm tired. And, you know, we're at the racetrack at 7.30. I mean, it's it's a – that was a high-pressure deal. Giving me that much time to think about something – uh, is a bad deal. You know, it can either really <laughs> help performance or it can really hurt performance. Uh, but we absolutely—I don't ever want to stew on a big round that long. I mean, it, I still—I I still don't think I've been to sleep.
0: It uh, it was something, and it's it was one of those things that you know it, it lived up to the hype. It so really does when we have you know matchups like that. And you know, first off, it happened because a lot of times you know we knew you you guys would both have to get to the semis to meet each other as the ladder was laid out. And a lot of times something happens along the way, and it doesn't it doesn't go that far. But it did, and then you know you it, the show was unbelievable. It was it was a phenomenal thing to watch. And now, of course, the next barrier is going to be three forty nine, and and who knows when that happens? Because like you said, it is not just like even when you know the world goes to georgia in, in october to run the sweet 16 race and and no mercy there's no guarantees that there's going to be conditions present to do it
1: absolutely not and i and i don't think judging by what the forecast is looking like i don't think we'll have air to do it i think the next you know it takes literally a perfect set of conditions and even then you don't know that you got it yeah um our next opportunity may be orlando world street if the air is good maybe if we have a cool night in valdosta I promise you, I'm swinging that at every single run. But also, uh, I got a big old lead trophy after Virginia, so that also uh, is going to be very prohibitive into into going into the 40s. we we got another hurdle to jump. So
0: yeah, and we'll they just keep, have to see. They keep coming, and that's uh, you know that's one of the hallmarks of that style of racing is when you get out there and you start really laying it down. You uh, like you said, you earn some uh, you earn some weight. I want to ask you, uh, mentality wise, running the legal NHRA car versus running the d- drag radial car. I know you as a driver attack it the same way because I watch you race and I can see you in what you do inside the race car, but in terms of tuning these cars, is the philosophy the same? I know mechanically they're different, but is the philosophy the same tuning a legal NHRA car to go all the way to the quarter mile mark versus the radial car that goes to the eighth mile under very different kind of track conditions?
1: Uh, all drag racing cars and combinations are philosophically the same. Everybody gets spun out in quarter mile and eighth mile and nitrous and turbo and blower. It's all about making the most amount of power you can, figuring out how to apply it as early in the run and keep the G-meter up as long as you can until you run out of power. And that goes from junior dragster racing to top fuel. The difference in the eighth mile racing is your fuse can be... your. I always say that, like, these Radio versus the World cars, uh, especially the nitrous combination, when I leave the starting line, I pull the pin out of the grenade and throw the grenade up in the air. Well, i got to catch the grenade and get the pin back in there before I get to the finish line. And a lot of times, like, that, the first... The second qualifying run. i burned a motor up bad when we yep. were 52 with a zero. Uh, a lot of times you don't get the pin back in. Quarter mile racing, you just have to be much more delicate and make smaller mistakes in the first half of the racetrack because the engine has to still be running down there. So the philosophy is the same. The application and the mechanic side of it is different. Uh, you just have to be in a quarter mile legal car. You just have to be far more precise on when you make a mistake.
0: Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Uh, obviously, the the, the the last four or five hundred feet, we've seen it over the the last couple of pro mod races in NHRA. We saw it happen to to Jason Scruggs. He was out on Chad Green. The nose dipped down. And he was done there. We see it happen to Clint Satterfield. Clint Satterfield has the best car he's ever had in his career so far. But he was there. he was he
1: was about to run out of my life in the first round in Indy. <laughs> like he's coming by, and I knew I had a great life. I turned loose, and I'm like, you know, as a driver, when I turn loose, I was like, I got your ass. Like you ain't gonna do nothing with that. Eight mile, I see him coming. I'm like, "What the hell?" <laughs> I looked down. I was like, "Is my engine still running? What the world?" Uh, and then he smoked it. But like the it, with a with a blown alcohol combination, you're literally every single run that thing is so on the ragged edge. You are missing the shift by 100 RPMs away from heading straight to the engine shop. And that's how that's how how much we have these things on the ragged edge. Uh, it's, it makes it exciting for the fans. It's a nightmare for me. Uh, and for you know, for tuners and stuff like Billy, because you're you're always just a breath away from greatness or failure. Uh, that's what makes our support so awesome. I
0: love it. Last thing I want to talk to you about before we let you go and get to testing down there is alcohol funny car. You've been driving Jim Whiteley's car at the the Midwest Drag Racing Series. Uh, just initial impressions, and and honestly, my big question is your radial car is is significantly faster now than than both the Pro Mod and the alcohol funny car. So what gives?
1: And that alcohol car, I don't know any other way to describe it except for just tell you that it's absolutely badass. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The sensation from driving that thing, my radio car goes 350 flat, and that alcohol car running 360 feels way faster. Um, You're much more hands-on driving it, and it it started out as an experiment. Uh, Jim just wanted me to take one out there and see kind of what we could do with it, but I like it. I am removing auto shifters from our pro modified cars. We're going to drive these things again. Hallelujah! Um, Shifting cars and stuff like Jim Wiley's new car. I'm not putting an auto shifter in it um, because I think that's the way the class should be. And yeah, it's going to gig us a little bit. But having the driver be able to affect the performance of the car, plus or minus, uh, that's a big selling point for me. I like that class. I I wish I had time to go over there and run it. Uh, The people that run it, are happy, I promise you, that I don't have time to go over there and run. But uh, It's a really cool class, got some competitive people, uh, and those people, those men and women that drive those race cars, those are race car drivers. Um, I have a lot of respect for them after getting in that thing.
0: Very cool, man. Hey, I know you got to bust your ass out there with all four of those cars. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us. I'll see you in Gainesville this weekend. Congrats on the record, and congrats on grabbing the points lead. See if you can hang on to it. Thank you, Lawrence. I'm after it, buddy. I'll see you Sunday night in the Winter Circle. Thanks, Stevie. All right, after that conversation with Stevie Fast Jackson, we roll right into our second guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is your current points leader. He is a U.S. Nationals winner for the second time in his career. It's Jack Beckman. How you doing, man?
2: Good morning, Brian, or good afternoon, depending on where you
0: are. <laughs> yes, you are cruising in Southern California. actually headed to go do some stuff at the NHRA Motorsports Museum, which is always cool.
2: Um, that's my kind of been my home away from home. We're gonna film some some highlights of the different cars there for the website. So Greg Sharp, who's the curator there. Um, he and I are going to put on our makeup and see if we can remember some lines.
0: <laughs> I like it. Well, let's 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 remember some lines from the U.S. Nationals because that was a tremendous weekend for your team. Obviously, you had two final rounds to run there. Hagen got the better of you in the first one, but uh, the most meaningful final round of the weekend was one that you claimed for yourself. So, what a uh, really uh, what a season it's been. But frankly, what a race that was.
2: Yeah, it kind of was a tale of two indies, or was that? Or Indy? Oh, it's confusing <laughs> now, isn't it? So, 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 let me see if I can remember this. We made the final of Indy two, which wasn't run off because of the rain delay until qualifying at Indy four, which happened to be the U.S. Nationals. Well, in between there was Indy three, and we kind of got in one of those situations. We had to replace two discs in our bell housing. We run a six-disc clutch, so three of them are new discs. Three of them are one-run discs, and typically you throw them out after the second run. So we had to replace one used, one new. And you know we thought we had good numbers on them. And remember, even though we went to Indy four times in a row, it wasn't the same track every time. Correct. The amount of sportsman cars that ran, the track prep, that stuff changed, and it's nobody's fault. It was just the number of cars and the categories of cars that were allowed to compete there. Well, Indy 3, I mean, to say we struggled would be an understatement. We made two qualifying runs and smoked the tires on both of them, and it's not like we blew them off on the hit, and I don't think we and Medlin missed it by much. It's it's just as if we were pushing 200s harder than the racetrack wanted to let us run, and it would just drive the tires off at 300 feet. Well, and then it did something similar in the first round against Matt Hagen. So we come back for the U.S. Nationals, and the, the hero run is the the uh, Friday night run and we smoked the tires again but we at, on that run we really felt like we had kind of turned a corner on predicting what this clutch pack wanted and I think it showed. From that point on we just pecked away at it and got faster and faster and really our only uh, hiccup from that point on was second round against Caps. So when we won first round I think we were I think we were second low E.T. of the round. We made an excellent yes. run and beat Cruz Pedregon Well, uh, we didn't get any computer data. And we always... Medlin always inspects the parts. No matter what the computer says, he looks at the bearings, he looks at the pistons, he looks at all the spark plugs. Um, but there's a reason we have that data recorder on the car. If we didn't need the data, nobody had one. one. <laughs> right. So we were tuned and born and, and actually... I'm not even sure if that's what bit us. For whatever reason against Caps in the second round, our clutch wear was down. And if your clutch wear is not predictable, if it's too little or too much, it changes the angle of the levers relative to how far down the track the car is, and it just throws the tune-up off. Once in a while, it'll make a car run quicker than the crew chief intended it to. It didn't in our case, and that was the one run where i think we were vulnerable and then from that i just think we had the
0: best car out there yeah you really did and uh yeah to your point um uh, it was funny because you know that the infinite number of variables that can come up in a run like you're mentioning you know clutch wear is is, it a, is going to mechanically affect the way the clutch is applying and then if that's going to be affected then the fuel curve is going to be weird the timing curve is going to be weird it is it's almost fascinating that the cars can move under their own power at all. At some points, when we actually go down a brass tacks and think about the number of things that can go sideways on a run, um, in terms of the uh, mechanical nature of these things. But you know, to your, t- you know, to take this into a different kind of direction. Obviously, you win the race. Uh, everything's great. Final round was final round was crazy. You go in. You said your guys had changed the style, the brake on the car to a push brake. Both bulbs come on. You have said, and uh, I have no reason to to discount what you're saying. That hey, this was uh, made a mistake. It just was what it was. And Jr. obviously disagrees with that opinion. And frankly, in the world of drag racing, I like I like a little bit of spice. You know what I'm saying? So Jr. you know Jr. had a chip on his shoulder for it. I know you don't carry any of those feelings, but as we move on to this Gainesville race, what do you guys carry? Not necessarily you and Jr. But what do you and your team carry out of Indy that can be used at this Gainesville race?
2: Um, I think if nothing else, when you come off a race win, it just reaffirms to everybody on the crew that we are absolutely capable of being the best on any given race day. And there, there is no cure for depression for a race team like standing in a winner's circle holding the trophy. You know, a good E.T. slip and a trophy will fix a whole lot of life ailments. I'm not making light of that. Yeah. The, uh, no, I agree. Yeah. Going but it, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it's um, I think I think the last week and a half has probably been easier for the guys to work on the car in the shop. Uh, I it just it 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 hopefully doesn't change attitudes because on a caliber of team like the incident hero, you know, Dodge Penzo car that I drive, we all should have good and positive attitudes. But you can't tell me that coming off a race win. Doesn't make some
0: sort of incremental difference. Yeah, and uh, you know the hallmark of a uh, any championship team, in my eyes, is the, that ability to maintain that keel when you know when you do get into a situation where, like you said, you make a couple of uh, change a couple of discs in the clutch and things appear to you know be a little bit more bumpy for a short period than they were previously. The championship caliber team is the one that knuckles down and figures it out without getting themselves emotionally or mentally into the weeds and. I guess the same can be said about coming up short um, on the rain-delayed final and then bouncing back. And was it even a bounce back? I guess that's my other question is we had several of these scenarios where final rounds had to be run. Is it even a bounce back when you know you're actually going to be in eliminations like the next day or whatever, or two days later? Is that even the same mental feeling of we came up short versus, hey, we get to do this again tomorrow?
2: Well, mind you, there's a difference between making a bad qualifying run and losing a race. And we made a good qualifying run, but lost the final round of the rerun of the rain delayed race to Matt Hagen. We lost. Like the time slip tells us, we lost. So that could potentially get you down, but you're in that unique position. And Indy typically is the only racetrack where that's possible, where you can lose one day and come back the next day and and win. And it used to be that opportunity was afforded us by the shootout, which doesn't exist anymore. So, I mean, add to what else is crazy in 2020, Brian, that the the Infinite Hero team loses on Saturday, comes back and wins the U.S. Nationals on Sunday, which uh, I don't think the U.S. Nationals has ever been run on Sunday. Way before it moved to Indy, Way before it was called the US Nationals, they, the top eliminator was run off on Sunday, but I can't recall any US Nationals funny car trophy being handed to the winner on Sunday. But but they handed one out and we took it.
0: Yeah, no, and it uh, in spectacular fashion and, and it sets up the conversation for these last, you know, five races that are planned. I hope we get to run five races, but there are five races planned at this point and it is a it is basically a three-horse race. And unless somebody really stumbles, J.R. Todd's back uh, about 130 or 140 points. And I'm not writing him off at this point. But when we look at the three cars that have really separated themselves from the pack, uh, it is, of course, you, Hagen, and TJ. And nobody needs motivation to, to run for a championship. Nobody needs motivation after they've had the start. And uh, I guess what would be considered the majority of the season like you have had but how much does it help to keep these competitive fires fueled knowing that it's probably going to be one of you three that wins this thing and it's probably going to go down to the wire so I guess from my perspective or I guess I'd like to hear from your perspective um, well
2: sure I, I, I can go you one better unless uh, something akin to an 11th second or, or an 11th hour reprieve comes in I'm probably not going to be driving next year September, we, we don't have funding lined up for next year. Uh, I would not be the first drag racer to ask Don Perdome that sat out a year and then came back, and I'm continuing to look for sponsorship, but COVID has made this really, really tough to try to find funding, so uh, I, I've got five more races now. Will those be the Nitro Funny Car? I, I hope not. I'm gonna make my best effort for them not to be, but one never knows. Now, you had mentioned it's a three-horse race. Well, I think is gonna make a formal announcement today where it might not be. They're gonna go back to points and a half at the final race in Vegas. So, my philosophy on the points is pretty simple mathematics. If you're behind, you wanna be 19 or less rounds behind them, so if you race them, you can take the points league because it's 20 points per round. If I'm ahead of somebody, I always want to be 81 points or more ahead of them. That way, if I lose first in the race, I still have the points lead. Well, now instead of Sunday at Vegas winning four rounds being worth 80 points, today was 120 points. So I think that puts JR and Caps right back in the championship conversation.
0: No it absolutely does and yeah the points and a half thing is uh, is a wrinkle that I guess welcome to some and welcome to the chasers but not welcome to the chasees uh, so to speak because if you're there you don't really want you don't really want anybody having any additional uh, ability to kind of catch up to you and run up to you in that in that final situation. Uh, when we look at when we look at Gainesville, my question to you is, uh, how do you feel in terms of coming to the track this late in the year? I don't foresee this being a very strange thing as far as data goes, right? Because the amount of odd weather we've run in at Gainesville over the years is so vast that whatever Mother Nature throws at us in a couple of weeks would seemingly be something that your crew chiefs have in the logbook somewhere.
2: Yeah, that shouldn't be as big an issue as only getting two qualifying runs. Uh, that's the thing with that. that Love it or hate it, it's what we've got, and I think it's kind of cool. It really has put some excitement back in qualifying, and then the other thing is you hope you get 17 cars or more show up. So qualifying actually means something. You, you yeah. have to do better than somebody or you don't get in the show you know, Part for crew chiefs is tweaking their philosophies to suit this two-run only qualifying format uh, I mean, certainly with Lane at various races throughout the years, there have been lots of races where you've only got two runs, but that's been the exception and now it's the rule. So, you know, you really wanna try to get your car to the finish line under power on the first session and maybe forego taking that big swing uh, to try to get three points. Well then second session, more often than not, that's gonna be the quicker session. If you didn't run well, on session one, not only do you have to run earlier on the second session, which means you get less opportunity to watch the other cars, but now you're really under the gun to get a solid qualifying number, so you might back everything down three or four hundreds versus what the guy who ran good in the first session can now push hard and try to get another three points in the second session. So it's a chess match, and and let me tell you, those three points now, because there's no countdown. remember, In a normal season for the last 10 years, up until Indy, really, as long as you were in the top 10, you were only racing for 10 points at a time, because that was the separation between each position. Well, now, you could potentially gobble up, if, if you count the eight points for qualifying number one, you could potentially get 20 points just in qualifying, in bonus points, and compare that to somebody who qualifies 13th through 16th, they get one point. So you could gain 19 points on somebody having never won a round just in qualifying. Tell me that won't make a difference at the end of the year.
0: Oh, it absolutely will, and it has. I mean, the incremental those incremental points, you know, they seem infinitesimal at the time, but all of a sudden, we get down and we start looking at these margins between the racers, and you go back and you can, you know, you can kind of do the reverse math, do the forensics on it, and come back and go, "Whoa, this was a great qualifying car, and this wasn't a great qualifying car," and ultimately, that had, uh, you know, that had measurable effect. In uh, in Jack Beckman's uh, dream world of uh, you know setting up scenarios and stuff like that, are you the kind of guy that wants to find one of these? top-ranked cars early by some, you know, if you're the better qualified car and they're scuffling, do you want the Matt Hagan first round? Do you want the Tommy Johnson first round to try to kind of control your own destiny? Or is it better off to let them uh, kind of soil their hands trying to get to you later on in the rounds? Oh,
2: uh, let's see. In a dream scenario, whether it's uh, TJ or Caps or Hagan or or Wilkerson. I would like them to be in an old Ford Taurus with a look <laughs> headdress. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hey, the, the, the elephant in the room, God, I was going to make it. I was going to say the elephant not in the room, and that could be taken long. John Forrest isn't racing for the remainder of this year. Robert Heights out for the remainder of this year. The sport needs them back, and soon because they're two of the most competitive cars out there. But let's also be factual about this. There are plenty of Nitro Funny cars out there that are capable of winning the race. So it goes back to qualifying. You know, typically if you qualify in the top four, you get a favorable first round matchup, except for, because we're only getting two qualifying runs, there's a lot more anomalies. In other words, the final qualifying order isn't nearly as predictable as it used to be with four runs. So, look, Caps qualifies third and gets Hagen first round at one of the Indy races. Um, uh, uh, We get Cruz because we both qualified middle of the pack at the U.S. Nationals. So it is so impossible to try to come out with any sort of prediction before qualifying shakes out here. And I, I think, Brian, I'm getting more comfortable with that saying that It is what it is. Yeah. Like, whoever we're next to in the other lane, we are going to run as hard as we can. I'm going to try to have my head in the right spot and do our best to stay ahead of them.
0: No, it makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think the embrace of that particular phrase or that particular philosophy comes along with confidence in your operation. I think when – I think you can – you can embrace a philosophy like that when you understand, hey, we've overcome things this year. And obviously, I mean, it's been, it's been astonishing to watch what your team has done. When you look at the consistency of the performances, it really is awesome. And um, it's almost amazing that we have three cars clumped as tightly together as we do. <laughs> when, when we look at how well you've performed and your team has performed this year, if you put a blindfold on somebody and just simply said, here's what this car has done, they would go, okay, well, this guy's going to win the championship. And then you look at the points chase, you go, oh, my God, how is this possible?
2: yeah but and the equalizers there with nitro in the tank it, it, it's why you can't accurately predict a points uh conclusion in especially nitro funny car as easily as you can and say pro stock uh when you're down to the last few races because yes. pro stock typically if the driver's not dead late uh the better car is going to win the race and funny cars it, it, it it's so seldom is not necessarily the case. And for us, that stumble at Indy 3, when we qualified poorly and didn't get any bonus points and lost first round. You know, we we let the winner gain almost 90 points on us yeah. at that one race. That's why I'm saying, if you're in the lead, man, you want to have a, a, a 90 point lead going into the last race, except for now the last race is double points. So you want to have a 125 point lead well right now we're at 35. so matt hagan is within two rounds but tommy johnson had his at indy and i gotta tell you any other light that dale creasy has tommy johnson wins if that engine stayed together two tenths of a second longer for tommy johnson he wins that round and if he wins that round he very likely would have won one or two more rounds that day, and, and then there's three cars just covered by a blanket for the top spot.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it was stunning, and it... it, it yeah. And I think... Oh, that's the first round in Funny Car was 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 the round, right? You had Bob Bodie advancing and Dale Creasy advancing as well. That was the, you know, that was the shocker round of the whole race in some in some respects. One last question before I let you go. Uh, Gainesville surface, obviously, it was a new surface for last year, and I know that you know all you all the drivers all right. and teams have great analysis on these tracks. I know that there is like each place has its bumps and its cracks and its places to be or not to be. What do you bring with you in your back pocket after racing at Gainesville last year? Kind of your assessment of the surface, right? Lane versus left lane, any bumps, heaves, weirdness there?
2: I I think that there were some issues with the surface quality. I don't think it came out as nicely as the investment was dictated. I think that there was a lot of upset, crew chiefs, over the the contact surface. And you could think of contact surface as, um, uh, you know, driving on gravel, you wouldn't have a lot of contact surface. Driving on glass, you would except for the glass would not have enough friction for good traction so it's a combination of a smooth surface but one that has just the right amount of texture to let the rubber embed into it so I'm hoping that one year of running although I'm sure that they've suspended a lot of regular racing operations at Janesville, has given us a little bit more rubber and contact area uh, on that surface and I don't My recollection, Brian, I don't recall a big disparity between the lanes uh, last year. So, uh, you know, it's just another thing that makes crew chiefs want to pull their hair out is limited data this year, limited runs for everybody, going down to a track that we've only been on one time before on the current surface. But I think it's probably an equal playing surface for everybody involved. So let's see where the chips fall.
0: Jack Beckwith, thanks for taking some time today. It's uh, it's always great to talk to you, and certainly uh, the Funny Car race to the finish is going to be awesome to watch. Best of luck to you and your Infinite Hero team, and uh, I look forward to uh, having one of the best seats in the house to watch it all unfold down at the Gators.
2: I will see you Saturday, and hello and thanks to all the fans out there.
0: And to echo Jack's sentiments on that front, 100%, thank you to all the fans that will be watching on FS1. Thank you to all the fans that will be tuned in at the racetrack itself, as we do have Fans allowed down there at Gainesville. It's limited capacity. If you'd like to get tickets, you can go to nhra.com. And if you do already have tickets, if you had tickets to the original running of the race back in March, those tickets will be honored, of course, this weekend. So there is a limited number based on the limited seating capacity at Gainesville Raceway of how many tickets they can sell. If you don't buy online, there is an excellent chance you could walk up to the gate and they could tell you. Sorry kids, Wally World's closed, so make sure if you're going to come, you go to NHRA.com and score some tickets that way so you know that you have a seat. Great to talk to Stevie Fast Jackson and Jack Beckman, two guys that are in the midst of a very tight championship chase in a very strange year of 2020. News continues to break around the world of NHRA drag racing within the course of making this show. There has been some public and social media chatter from Marcus Lamona,s who is the owner and operator, or the proprietor I should say, of Camping World who has been a longtime sponsor Of the NASCAR Truck Series and continues to be, he has reached out to the NHRA publicly and said, hey, let's talk about sponsoring your series. So we may have more news on that when the next episode of the NHRA Insider comes up next week. It is weird, it is wild. It is most certainly just another day in the world of 2020. Hope to see you at the Gator Nationals. If I don't, I hope to see you watching on the other side of your television set on FS1 qualifying show Saturday Live and live eliminations on Sunday at the 51st running of the Amelie Oil NHRA Gator Nationals. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll see you next time.